again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. We're at episode number 123. My name is Michael Citro. I'm the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com, covering Orlando City and Orlando Pride. Joining me, as always, David Rowe up in Tallahassee. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. Uh, it was a good month for me at my real job, and so that always makes doing this uh, a lot more fun. Plus, uh, any time that we can uh, count all the wins on uh, on a hand with no losses, that's uh, I like that. Yes, and I would like to go to a second hand with that count. Let's do it. So, as you uh, just alluded to, five wins on the bounce now for Orlando City going out to Colorado in that thin Rocky Mountain air, taking on the PIDs, the Rapids, that is, and um, falling behind early but coming back to win in, you know, just just kind of ho-hum, cardiac cat fashion, uh, <laughs> two-to-one victory for the good guys in purple or in white with purple trim, as the case was this past weekend uh, up in uh, Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Uh, Really nice contingent of traveling supporters, more than 200 in the supporter section alone, plus a a good mix of purple shirts throughout the crowd. So very nice turnout for Orlando City um, in the, uh, you know, in the visiting uh, stands and uh, and all throughout Dick's Sporting Goods Park and and tremendous um, voice, because you could hear them, you know, doing the Vamos Orlando chant during the game. Uh, they were drowning out the local Colorado supporters group. So uh, just a, a tremendous showing by them and also by the team going behind uh, early. We mentioned uh, last week on the program that, uh, you know, taking on the altitude was going to be a key matchup in the game. And uh, Orlando City did look like they were a step slow out of the gate for you know, at least the first five or six minutes, I don't even think the ball left. Uh, I don't even think the ball left the defensive third of Orlando City. It was starting to be one of those games where I thought, are we going to get any touches in the attacking half today? <laughs> and uh, right. uh, eventually the game opened up a little bit, but then a ball over the top. Uh, about the 26th minute mark, if I recall correctly, finds uh, Dominique Baji. Uh, of course, we cannot find an actual good view of this play that shows that it was onside or not. And, um, you know, the two center backs for Orlando city seemed pretty convinced it was not onside, but, uh, Baji gets in behind. Bendik did not, uh, was not able to get out in time to, uh, to snuff out the danger and Baji with a credit to him. He, uh, he slotted a ball just inside the far post. So a good shot to beat Joe Bendik. And, um, it, uh, it ended the, uh, no goals in the run of play streak at uh, about three and a half games and about another 26 minutes. So mm-hmm. uh, that was unfortunate. And uh, again, there was no really clear view of it. And I don't know if they had other camera angles, but it never uh, it never went to a video review. So um, either they didn't have a proper angle to look at it or the VAR in the booth decided that it didn't need another look. Um, the thing about that play, Dave, to me that stood out was that Sané put his arm up and Tarek put his arm up, and it looked like Tarek was deeper than Sané. So it looked like maybe if anybody kept him on, it might have been Tarek. But, um, but the other thing that struck me is that uh, Sané lifted his arm and then basically kind of gave the, gave the uh, 
get out of here wave at the AR instead of running his ass back and trying to break right. up that play. And uh, not sure if he could have caught Badgey with his uh, speed, but um, it would have been nice to have seen the effort to do so. So that was kind of disappointing and uh, in an otherwise uh, good match for Lamine Sané. Yeah, it was uh... – you're right. I, I don't know if that was on sides or off sides. Like you said, we, we got no good look at it, but, um, things like that, this is soccer. Things like that happen. Sometimes you get the call. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's wrong. Even with, um, you know, the new, uh, uh video, uh, assisted stuff, things are still going to get passed. If indeed it did get passed. We don't know. We didn't get to see a good look at it. It could have been on sides. Regardless, like you said, uh, Baji made a, uh, a, a good shot to, to put them up, which was, you know, we talked about um, the best chance that the Lions had was to get out there, and I believe you said it, get a goal early um, because later on they were going to get tired. So, you know, let's let's get on the board first. And this was the exact opposite of that. Uh, we were a little slow to start, like you said. I think they had they did start to settle in even before that goal. Yeah, just a bit. But yeah, just a bit. But um, they they had started to settle in to the game. They weren't looking as outpaced or anything like that. And after the goal, I felt that they they really I don't know if it was just that they continued to settle into the game or if the goal galvanized them. But uh, afterwards, they they looked pretty good to me for the remainder of the half. And um, I was still worried because, of course, you're down a goal on the road, which is never ideal, at altitude, which is worse. And so you, you had to wonder, OK, are, are, are they going to be able to do anything? Yeah, it was uh, it, it was definitely worrying for me because I, I thought – just what I said couldn't happen, and it happened. And the thing is, you you really have to get that goal back by the hour mark, or you're really going to be hurting because mm-hmm. that's what the players say across the league. They go there, and you kind of, I mean, Mohamed El Munir said that the team felt like he felt like he couldn't breathe for the first 15 minutes, and then he settled into the game. Um, <laughs> but what I've been told by many players is that when you go there that about the hour mark to 70 minute mark, that's when you really start to just hit a wall. And then you just, yeah. your, your body's not obeying what you're telling it to do and things like, and it's like, I mean, it's like anything else. It's like any other kind of exhaustion. You're not, uh, you know, even if your mind thinks it's going in regular speed, it's not. And, uh, and even if your mind's going at regular speed, it can't make your body go at regular speed. So it's, it's a dangerous situation to fall behind there. Um, and, and that's, uh, that was an unfortunate, um, I'll give him a loaf there. Sané had a little bit of a loaf uh, at, not, because I think he's a quick guy. He may have been able to recover and, and maybe bother Badgie enough to make him uh, fire a little bit off target. And it would have only taken just a slight bit of, of, of uh, you know, aim being off for that to maybe uh, slip wide of the post. But uh, I'm going to give Sané a break because every single defense, every single defensive player and every center back in MLS will get beat uh, trying to keep a player off 
you know, offside this year. Every single one. Every every oh, yeah. every center back gets beat, and in this case, both uh, both Tarek and Sané got beat. And I've seen a lot of people complaining about Sané online, but uh, the, the other thing he did in that game that was notable was a bad back pass when he had Will Johnson open. He tried to go back to Bendick, and uh, it resulted in a near scoring chance for for Colorado, and that was a bad play. But if you look at Sané's overall body of work. 88% passing accuracy. He, had, he, he created a chance. He uh, was his usual self in the air with six clearances, four tackles, three interceptions. He was the, the team leader in all three categories. Uh, blocked a shot. Um, he, he did his job. I mean, for the most part, he did his job and he did it well. But he did have a couple of bad moments. And again, this is... This is MLS. Every center back is going to have some bad moments in a game. Well, it's one of those things where the good things and the bad things are what stick out, mm-hmm. not the everyday doing your job things. Right. We've talked about this in relation to like Will Johnson. People were, oh, he's not that great. Yeah, but he did his job. He did it well. You didn't hear anything about him because he was doing his job. Same thing with Sane. He did the job most of the time. This particular time, we saw two bad things or one bad thing if, if it was actually offsides. Mm-hmm. And so that's what people will focus on rather than, like you said, the entire body of work. I think looking at the entire team that night, if you go and actually look at the stats or go back and rewatch the game, filter out those you know, one or two either really high or really low things. And, and overall, I thought they played really well, including Lamine. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so, as you mentioned, about the 30th minute, maybe a, a few minutes earlier, Orlando really seemed to turn the game around and, and really have more of the play. Um, the better play, the better possession. Um, ended up getting out of the half with more possession than Colorado, uh, better passing than Colorado percentage-wise, but they were down 1-0. Late in the half, really excellent opportunity set up by Chris Mueller. Um, he floated a pass over Zach McMath that looked like Dom was just going to dunk it in with his head, and uh, mm-hmm. he gets undercut by the defen- defender there, and that was, to me, a foul. And yeah. it did not get called. And uh, so there was no penalty given in that situation, but it was a clear undercut in the box. I mean, it was a denial of a goal scoring opportunity and you can't generally that undercut gets called all over the field. So if it's a, if you know, if it's a foul everywhere else, it's got to be a foul in the box. Um, then at the other end, maybe it, maybe it evened out. It was a, a whiff of a handball on Sané in the box at the other end. I, I couldn't really get a clear look on my replays. Uh, as to whether it actually hit his hand. And then, you know, there's the old D, you know, was his hand in an unnatural position? Did he gain an advantage by it? That kind of thing. So I'm right. not really sure how that uh, was viewed, but it didn't uh, it didn't warrant anything on, on either end. So uh, maybe they were awash, maybe they weren't. I didn't care much for the official in this game, mostly because I thought he was letting a lot of really hard physical stuff go which was basically one-way traffic. Colorado was being extremely physical, especially with Chris Mueller, and especially in the midfield as well with uh, mm-hmm. Yotun and some of the midfielders. They were really roughing guys up. And in the second half, we saw the yellow cards start to fly, but you thought, man, if they could have given a few of those in the first half, this really could have uh, flipped the game. But one-nothing mm-hmm. lead for the Pids at the half. 
Uh, and then the Orlando came out of the break and just continued to play, build on how they played to, to close out the first half. And eventually the deadlock broken a, a ball into the, into the penalty area, bouncing around uh, Enzo Martinez tries to clear it with a bicycle kick only as far as Sasha question, who of course, instead of shooting finds the most perfectly open person in the area. And it's Christian Nikita. And my thought at that point is why did you pass to Christian Nikita? <laughs> But then, like, no. But the Colombian answered that with an emphatic "This is why" and rocketed one into the upper ninety for only his third career goal, Dave, and it was one-one. It was a and, and quite a goal it was. Uh, I've rewatched it many times. Uh, he took that on the right foot up in the upper right corner. Uh, no chance uh, for the goalie on that one. It was. It was picture. That's probably the best goal he's ever had. Uh, hopefully, it's not the best goal he'll ever have, but uh, certainly it was a thing of beauty. And like you said, Sasha, doing what Sasha does, which is getting an assist and doing it in the most. Oh, oh there's a there's a guy here. Here you go. You take the shot. One one. Um, it's the the two hundred plus that are there going. Absolutely crazy. And I know if you were thinking what I was, which you probably were, because we talked about this last week, I, I was sitting there going, well, that was, I'm glad that happened a little unexpected. Um, you know, especially given, like you said, the, uh, the amount of physicalness of the match up to that point. Speaking to Chris Mueller, for those who are worried that, uh, you know, maybe he hit a wall or, um, you know, wasn't quite up to, to snuff as he'd spend the last few games. They were all over him all game. I almost feel like they were determined that Chris Mueller was not going to keep his streak going. And I feel a bit the same in regards to Dom, including that undercutting him in the box. Um, and, you know, when you've got two guys on hot streaks like that, as a defensive team, you're going to focus on those guys because they've, they're the ones that have been scoring goals. So there's no doubt that Prior to that game, part of the the preparation is stay on Mueller, stay on Dwyer, make sure that they don't get a good foot or a good head on that ball. Yeah, I was uh, I was very surprised to see the person who put Orlando City up, but uh, you know we've been getting so much from Dom and from Chris Mueller the last few games. It was bound to be somebody else. Uh, mm-hmm. having a turn, and it was Chris Nikita's turn. It's, it was a great goal. It's up for goal of the week. So uh, kudos to Christian for t- uh, not only putting in another great shift on uh, on the defensive end, but also adding some offense to his arsenal. He played another great game, and, and Jason Christ said after the match that Higita had been a little sluggish, a little under the weather all week, and maybe dealing some with with some, uh, some severe allergy issues. And... Um, and that's one of the reasons why he came off when he did with a lot of people kind of scratched their head and said, why is he coming off? He's playing well. But that's why, because he was maybe not 100 percent and uh, still managed to put in a really great shift for Orlando. So the Colombian, um, I think it's great that he's he's coming around and starting to blossom into that player that we've been waiting for him to become. He's shown signs of it. He's shown flashes of it. Uh, just like his countryman Carlos Rivas did for three years. But now he seems to have put this is his best three game stretch in a row together of his career so far, I got to think by far. And when you look back on the match and you look back on that goal that he scored, if you are honest, you say, I'm surprised. But by the same token, you should be able to go, well, I shouldn't be. 
something has clicked with him. He is playing at a different level than he was before. Mostly, obviously, it's been in the defensive end and, you know, keeping things, being that defensive midfielder that we hope he could be. But this is a team that, you know, plays as a team. They're going to attack as a team. There's no reason to think that he couldn't get a goal. Um, So it's very happy for him to get that one and most importantly to even even things up at that point. So I it's one of those things where at the time like you I'm like no 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 and then I'm like yes yes yes. So I, I'll take it and um if he keeps playing if he scores no more goals this year but he keeps playing defensively how he's been I'll be extremely happy. <clears throat> Well, history's not on the side of more goals since he has three in his four-year career, but you never know. I didn't think I didn't think I was going out on a limb there. Uh, anyway, it was good to see him score because earlier in the in the second half, just a few minutes after the restart, Justin Miring got absolutely robbed of a freaking cannon shot uh, from distance that went. Uh, McMath got a piece of and it hit off the post and stayed out uh, to continue Justin Miram's uh, snake bitten. Uh, goal scoring season so far uh, but Justin Merrim was very active throughout the game he I thought he played very well um, he, he you know out on the wing passing at an 84 percent clip not a bad uh, not a bad game there uh, but also um, you know he gave he gave uh, Kleshton a, a pass that should have been oh. an assist. Kleshton shot it right at the keeper. He had the entire net, uh, both left and right, to shoot at. And yep. he went right down Main Street, right at uh, McMath. Uh, but then, a little mirror magic late in the game as we started to get toward the, the, the last quarter of an hour. And you started to think, well, maybe a point on the road isn't so bad at altitude. But uh, the slick back heel to send Yoshi into the box... Yoshi that gets beautiful. clipped by Dylan Cerna in the leg as he's uh, trying to break in, which would have been a two-on-one with, I believe, Dwyer. And uh, so the, the the referee did not hesitate, pointed right at the spot. It was a clear penalty, and uh, Yoshi Mario Toon took it himself and sent McMath the wrong way. Not that it would have mattered, because where he placed it and with as much power as he placed it, no goalie was stopping that, and it was two-to-one. Yeah, McMath got one... Uh... One ridiculous save in that game. He wasn't going to get two, even if he had gone the right direction. On that first one, I feel like maybe Yoda was out there helping him with the force or something. Um, and then on the the PK, yeah, that was that was going in uh, textbook from Yoshi. But like you said, that that little you know heel kick back to uh, to Yoshi into the box was a was an absolute thing of beauty, and uh, no doubt that it was a penalty. Uh, and at that point, you know, at that point in the game, you're up 2-1 out of nowhere. Yep, and just 13 minutes to play at that point. Yeah, and so now the worry becomes what we've been talking about the whole time is, do they have the legs to hold on? Yeah, and it was uh, apparent that the the proverbial wall was hit because it really was only a minute or two after the goal where Colorado started to really assert uh, itself in the attacking half, attacking third even, and and the Rapids continued to send wave after wave of attack forward, and they kind of tilted the game the other way in terms of, at that point, Orlando City was up in every category, including shots. 
but Colorado got a bunch of shots uh, there at the end, a, a bunch of corner kicks. And, you know, people are saying, well, why are they giving away? Why can't they maintain possession? It's the thing I talked <laughs> about before, folks. It's the fatigue of playing at altitude. Your body isn't behaving. Joe Bendit gets the ball on his foot and blast, tries to blast it down the field, and it goes, takes a right turn and goes out of bounds uh, for a Colorado throw. That's him not being able to control it. It's That's uh, the same thing with the, you know, there was like one brief moment of great holdup play in that last sequence, in that last 13 minutes, uh, when um, they sent the ball forward and Dom did a great job to hold it up, passed it off, mm-hmm. and uh, they ended up with a free kick out of it uh, yeah. in, in, a, in a pretty decent spot. They didn't really make anything of the free kick, but that was the one brief moment where they kind of caught their breath for a second and they were able to actually execute a few things in a row. But, you know, in the end... Even with six minutes of added time, which was just devastating to see that number go up, uh, knowing that they were already exhausted and and just under so much fire, they were able to, you know, stay resolute, defend heroically. And, um, you know, a lot of people will point to the Mohamed El Munir sliding block out of nowhere in the 94th minute, I think it was. Uh, but then they'll, a lot of people will forget that El Munir made that mess by allowing Dylan Cerna to run inside of him. Uh, yeah. So it was a good thing that he was able to make up for his mistake and uh, and save the day. So uh, at the end of the game, 2-1 the, to the visitors and a big celebration for the Lions in front of their fans. And, uh, you know, did the did the thing where they hold hands and run toward their toward their fans and uh and this time on the road so five wins in a row dave and i need your man of the match you know this is a uh, well it's not that tough but it was it was a bit tough like i said earlier everybody had a pretty good game you know a lot of people would argue for elmo near just for saving that uh that last one to to keep the win um, obviously Justin Miram had an excellent game. Uh, if you go and look at the passing numbers for the whole squad, they were all good. But for me, it's going to have to be, uh, Yoshimaru Tune. He did what he does every game. And on top of that was able to get the foul, get the PK, put the lions up. And so he wins my man of the match. Yeah, Yotun, a disgusting uh, stat line, (laughs) 96.4% passing accuracy. He had the second most touches on the team, 75, which was rare. He usually has the most. Uh, El Munir had 86, which is a a shockingly high number uh, for a a fullback. Um, And then uh, Yoshi had two shots, one on goal, obviously the goal. He had a, a, a chance created. And uh, just on and on and on, he had uh, a tackle. He had three interceptions to uh, to tie Sané for the team lead. Uh, just a great game for the Peruvian. And uh, certainly uh, the best part of it is he did not get booked. So he did not get suspended next week. Indeed. Um, he's gotten he's got two more games. If he can go cleanly through the next two games, he gets one of his yellow cards uh, removed for good behavior. And then uh, he'll be back down to three. Um El Munir was also amazing. Four aerials won, and he's not a big guy. So he was yeah. really tested uh, throughout the game. They tried to go high, cross it in. He was equal to the task. He also had three tackles, two interceptions. He blocked a shot, obviously the, the most important one at the end. Um, and uh, he passed very well. As you know, he, he didn't have too many of those scary moments that he sometimes has. Seemed to make the right 
decisions in the final third, um, you know, didn't dribble into blind alleys and stuff like that. So, and, and it looks like he, he and Merrim are becoming more comfortable together on that side. I'm going to give Mo my man of the match, uh, even though I can't argue against Yotun. And I also thought that Krishna Gita had a, ph- a phenomenal match as well. Those were the three that I was having to choose from uh, also. Good to see also uh, Uri Rossell get on the pitch for 23 minutes, his uh, his most so far in his two outings. And uh, he actually was able to get into the game a little bit. Got uh, He passed, you know, for a guy that's only been on the field less than a half hour with his teammates, uh, 86% passing is not too shabby. He uh, completed one of his two long balls. And... Um, two tackles in, in a very brief spurt uh, of play. So uh, good job by Uri. Uh, and it's good to see him back on the pitch. Absolutely. Uh, we've been, you know, waiting for him to have that impact. And of course what's happened in the meantime, while we were waiting for him is uh, Higita and some others have stepped up and started playing really well. So it's been a, well, you know, a little bit of a uh, embarrassment of riches uh, in, in that midfield, which is uh, a good thing. Mm-hmm for those of you who are wondering. So there is no doubt that we are going to get to see more of, um, of Roselle going forward. So don't worry. Um, you know, as more time goes by, as he gets more practice, we will see more of him. And uh, like you said, if he's getting 84% or so uh, with not a ton of time, well, hopefully that'll keep up once he does. And once he is in the games for more minutes. Yeah. Not going to be a guy who's, um, as quite as flashy in either direction as Yotun and Igita are. He's not a, a cruncher like Igita defensively. He's not got quite the offensive attacking flair in tight spaces that, that Yotun has kind of an in-between those two guys sort of player. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I think that will bode well for Orlando city because it means he can play with either of those guys in a mm-hmm. two man midfield. So, uh, welcome back Oriol Rossell. Um, Dave, there was another game this weekend, and that involved the Orlando Pride, and we got to welcome back a lot of international stars to the lineup. Thank goodness. And it was good to see even a, a very tired-looking Marta out there and uh, Alana Kennedy, and and it was um, you know it was one of those games against the rain where it just seems like it doesn't matter how many chances you get to score. Michelle Betos is making saves. You're missing you know missing opportunities just. Uh, wide, uh, but Betos made two really good saves in the first half, one on Alana Kennedy and one on Alex Morgan. Um, but, uh, you know, she kept her team in the game and then a mistake by Ashlyn Harris, quite frankly, uh, led to the first goal. Uh, she decided to punch instead of catching a ball that was looked utterly catchable. Uh, it didn't go very far. Christine Nairn tried her best to clear it, uh, in, on the fly, which is always a hard thing to do. It didn't leave completely. And then, um, you know, Ali Long was able to score a goal and, and put Seattle ahead, and then the Pride were chasing the game. Uh, they were able to come back on an unbelievable uh, free kick from Marta. She is an amazing player to watch, even when she's only half of her normal self. And, uh, right. you know, having traveled back from, uh, you know, the, the Copa America Feminina and only getting in two training sessions. And, you know, she was probably still feeling the effects of all the travel and, and, and the tournament that she had just come out of. And she definitely looked slow and sluggish and was constantly triple teamed. And yet she still really um, sort of controlled the match for the pride. Well, as she's wont to do, I mean, that's, that's 
that's what she does. So it's like you said, despite being tired, that's that's not something that I think of as a surprise. It's it's who she is, and and I'm just glad she's back doing it honestly so um it it was unfortunate uh, that ashlyn you know took that ball and, and punched it rather than like you say catching it uh but those things it's soccer those things are going to happen um and fortunately you know we weren't down all the australians and brazilians and so we had more bodies to throw at this game to try and you know, make the the best of a, a bad situation. Yeah, sort of an in-between lineup. Not everybody played that you would expect, but, um, you know, it was good to see, um, you know, some of the new players. In fact, we got to see Emily Van Egmond in the second half, and I thought she really brought a tremendous vision to the pitch that uh, was missing. She was able to thread balls into areas where, uh, you know, that's been lacking in the midfield for the Pride this season, you know, with all the midfielders that, that the quality in the midfield that was missing, we're talking about uh, not only Van Eggman, but Marta and, and Alana Kennedy, you know, this is a player, an Australian international who has very good vision on the field. She can put the ball into places where you're not sure that it'll fit, but then it fits and it's perfectly weighted for the, the player to run onto. And, and considering that was her first half of action with her new team. Uh, and she had had, I think I want to say four training sessions with the club. Uh, she did a great job. I mean, that was uh, just a sign of what Emily Van Eggman will be bringing to this team this year. Yeah, it was, like you said, getting the to see that is we've brought in so many players. There's been so much change on both squads. And um, the as crowded as, as – one might think that midfield is with, you know, Marta. It's you can never have too many good quality players. So having having Van Eggman out there, and hopefully as she gets more time with the team, we'll get even better. And if if that's the case, which I fully expect, um, that's only good things going forward. Um, so uh, you know, it's. Uh, <sighs> It wasn't a perfect game, but then again, it was the first game where everybody was back. So, mm-hmm. you know, expecting expecting them to play like a team that's been playing together for a few weeks, it, it's that's not something that, that one should would think is going to happen. Yeah, a little disappointing not to get the three. Uh, there were some opportunities to get goals that didn't uh, materialize. Again, Betos with a couple of really good saves. Um, Morgan had four chances created. She was really on her game from a passing yeah. perspective. But it was really not one of those games where, um, you know, there weren't a lot of good clear-cut opportunities. I think Seattle plays pretty good defense on the road. Mm-hmm. They, they, they tend to... Um, you know, be physical and they tend to play hard. And, and it, it was a pretty good outing for their back line and their goalkeeper. Uh, the really interesting thing to me, though, was that Allie Krieger playing right back, you wondered, you know, how she would fare against the quickness and the quality of former Pride uh, fullback Steph Catley. But Steph Catley was extremely quiet in that game. Uh, so kudos to Krieger for doing a good job on her. Well, Krieger is you know, one of the best of all time back there on that right back. So, you know, yes, is she getting older than some of those other ones? Is she is not as speedy? Okay, fine. But her 
soccer acumen and vision uh, are not diminished. As a matter of fact, their uh, her experience lends you know the, her the ability to not have to run as far in certain cases. And so uh, we're lucky to have somebody back there with that experience, especially since you know some of the other um, people on the back line, you, your your pickets are not. Um, uh, quite as as old Presley. So um, for allowing for them to be able to learn from her is a um, a benefit that's going to serve the pride in the years to come. Yes, and uh, the pride will get a, a quick turnaround. A Wednesday night game against the Chicago Red Stars on the road. Uh, I believe four consecutive on the road for the pride, if I'm uh, remembering correctly. So um, you know this will be a very It'll be a difficult section of the schedule, and this is the section of the schedule that Orlando really has to be careful to try to pick up some points, even if they're just draws, to stay in the race so that when they get the the bulk of some home games later in the season, they're able to make up some ground, and, and that's uh, that's going to be very important to watch. But Dave, do you have a player of the match for the, uh, the Seattle Reign at the Orlando Pride? Uh, for me, it's going to have to be uh, the best player women's player to ever play this game that's marta if for nothing else than that phenomenal uh free kick strike it was a absolute thing of beauty a total galazzo and um if you haven't seen the uh if you're not following christine naren on twitter go do it uh there's a somebody put out there where they they because naren is standing out there with marta and they do this slow motion uh, zoom in on Naren's face as she she watches uh, Marta take this kick, and it's it's absolutely priceless. But um, you know, not just for the kick. Obviously, you know, Marta's Marta. She's always going to create chances, create havoc, draw players to her. So, um, despite um, Alex um, having plenty of shots and opportunities, you know, I think uh, Betos did a good job in goal for for the rain, and that made it tough on on the pride we maybe should have come away with a win but regardless um for that you know for getting that goal i've got to give it to marta yeah for me there were a lot of performances that were kind of in a similar sort of area there were in terms of scoring them and it, it was really a, a few players that i thought were kind of equal I thought Kennedy played very well. I mean, Krieger, I think, played very well. Kennedy also played very well in that midfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex, her movement was really good. I uh, would like to see her put that that one that Beto saved. was It was a one-timer. I'd like her to see her put that a little closer to the post. I think that's in. But, um, uh, again, Marta probably was the most influential player on the pitch, and uh, so she will also be my player of the match. Uh, and she got robbed for NWSL goal of the week. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Tobin Heath won it for a little chip over the goalkeeper, which really, um, it's cute, but it's it's, <laughs> it's not the colosso that Marta scored from, no. uh, from distance on a free kick. So uh, the unsavable free kick wins in my estimation. But again, I'm biased, so what? Yeah, we're biased, but I don't yeah. think we're wrong. Yeah. So anyway, big news going into Wednesday's game. Of course, this drops on Wednesday if you're uh, getting it when it first comes out. Um, you know, the big news for the Pride, uh, questionable for the game. Alex Morgan with a hyperextended knee. Uh, I can even recall the play that she did it when she was trying to get down into the box. And you could see uh, she went down and took her kind of a minute to get up. Mm-hmm. Um, she is questionable. Also questionable, Ashlyn Harris with a hyperextended elbow. 
so those two players from the U.S. Women's National Team may or may not be in the lineup uh, Wednesday night against Chicago. Now, it's it's not a situation where you say, well, maybe they rest them and play on a weekend because they're not playing on the weekend. They have a week off till another midweek game next week. So, and that makes a difference. Yeah, so they can go ahead and play. If I, I think if they're as long as they don't have anything swollen, I think they're both playing in that game. So uh, we'll see what Tom Sermani does. But um, you know, it, it'll all depend on on how they are. I, I'm imagining both game day decisions. So um, that's something to watch for. Also, uh, Ashland was uh, reviewed by the NWSL disciplinary committee for a play that happened sort of. Um, I think when maybe the whistle had blown for, I think maybe Jessica Fishlock getting hurt. Yes. And, um, so the, 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 the referee stopped play, but the, the ball, they kept playing. <laughs> Jody Taylor came <laughs> in and, uh, Ashland got there and got the ball and then, uh, they collided and Ashland sort of got tangled with her and, uh, yeah, it looks like she threw her down. Was there intent there? I don't know. But they, they reviewed the play, and there were there's no disciplinary action coming. So uh, they have determined that they don't see any intent in that. So uh, she will not be suspended, which is good. But you know what? Haley Kopmeyer's a good goalkeeper anyway. So uh, I think in the end, probably doesn't matter. No. And it, I watched that, uh, that thing that they reviewed uh, where they're you know, people who were against the pride will say she threw her onto the ground. It looked more to me like, you know, when one of my kids used to come run up and I'd kind of, you know, catch them and then just kind of let them down to the ground without making, you know, making sure they didn't get hurt. Um, You know, she didn't even look as she was doing it and you really have to go watch it. It's incredibly hard to explain, but she wasn't even looking down as she did it. Like, you know, it, it was a just, oh, okay, you're, we're entangled. I'm going to let you go now. She falls to the ground. Harris moves on. So I, I don't, I, I agree with the review. There didn't seem to be any ill intent there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think they made a good no call on, on suspension. Yeah. And I didn't even think about that actually with the, uh, you're right though, that, you know, it would have been a different look if she had like, sort of postured mm-hmm. over her and get, you know, gave her some lip or something afterwards, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and certainly it, it didn't seem like that, but the weird thing was that I, I had to watch the game on the go 90 and, and I didn't see that it wasn't shown. It was shown in their broadcast at the end of the broadcast in like this montage of, of scenes from the game. And it was like, where did that come from? When did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was very odd, but uh, uh, in fact, our Scott Carnival was at the game and, covering the game and he didn't see it because he was looking back to see you know what the stoppage was about and that kind of thing so he didn't even see it happen either so anyway no suspension no harm no foul we can all move on much ado uh, about nothing yeah so uh you know good job Uh, orlando actually got a break from a a disciplinary committee that never happens well that's the pride so that's why (laughs) yeah uh maybe they're just afraid of ashland's fans hey you know what i'd be afraid of ashland (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the maybe it was that. Who knows? But again, the uh, pride in action against the Red Stars. This is a team, Dave, that has given Orlando problems in the past, um, especially in Chicago. Very few goals scored against that team by Orlando, and, and Orlando is having trouble scoring goals this year. So that's not a good combination of things uh, going into Wednesday. And oh yeah, that is worrisome. Yes, uh, they also have Sam Kerr now. <sighs> 
Uh, yeah. And and we're potentially without Alex Morgan. Potentially without Alex Morgan, yes. Um, so Sydney Larue, time to step up. Uh, yeah, Sid had her, maybe her quietest game yet on uh, on the weekend. So uh, maybe she will step up and have a good game. Who knows? We. I'm anxious to see what what Tom does for squad rotation. So uh, yeah. it's a you know it's coming back on a short week, but uh, Chi Abogagu got half the game off. Emily Van Eggman played her first half of a game. The Australians and Brazilians will actually be more rested than they were, um, which is hard to believe. Um, <laughs> but uh, they will. What a good be, thing. <laughs> yeah. So you know Poliana didn't even dress for the game over the weekend, so she's probably a good bet to be rested and fit, and ready to go. Um, Carson Pickett didn't play. Uh, so I think you can read into that. Maybe that they'll, that those two fullbacks will play there. Maybe Krieger and Monica play inside, or maybe one of them plays with Zadorsky. Um, it's hard to tell what, uh, what Tom's going to do because I don't think, I mean, we know this is his third year. He hasn't had a team this deep before to deal with. Right. Talk about, uh, he, he's probably sitting there going, I don't know what to do with all of these people. This is fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Um, Actually, he wouldn't have said it like that. He would have said it with an accent. With a very nice uh, Scottish brogue. Scottish brogue, yeah. yes. Uh, talking to him is so is it's so great. It really is. Uh, Tom Sermani, I can honestly say, is a delight to talk oh, to. Absolutely. <laughs> he is. Uh, he is an unbelievable guy. He pulled me aside. Um, I mentioned at the. Um, she believes cup uh, at the halftime of the first game. I went downstairs to look at the merchandise and I hear my name and I turn around and Tom's calling me over and we just sat there talking and, and he is just an unbelievable guy. You can have the easiest, the easiest guy in the world to talk to. You can talk to him about anything, any topic. He's, He's just a good conversationalist. Uh, and he's always nice. He, he's always genuinely interested in what you have to say. Yes. And uh, just, uh, I recommend if you ever have an opportunity to go see him at one of these club events, go talk to him. He's, it'll be worth it. Right. Late breakfast with Tom Sermani, better than everything. <laughs> yes. The the, yeah the brunch thing. I mean that was that was tremendous. The uh, I, I wish I'd have gone to that. The uh, mimosas with Tom. That that's I. <laughs> I, if I I didn't find out until after the fact uh, on on our internal chat, if I had known, I might have taken a day off and driven down for that because it would have been that good. Yeah. Well, uh, Dave, we uh, we will will be back to talk about the pride next week uh, and we'll break down their game against Chicago. Hopefully, a victory. But uh, why don't we get to this week's guest? I'm very excited about this because we've this is probably oh, our yes. most high, our most high profile guest maybe that we've ever had. Uh, at least since I've been one, and uh, that's that's been a while now. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. All right. Well, we'll do that now. We'll get to that interview right after this. All right. Joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week, very, very happy to have with us uh, a professional soccer broadcaster, uh, former player, um, you know, guy who ran for U.S. soccer president. He wears a lot of hats. Kyle Martino, thanks for being with us. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm, yeah, it's so funny. When people ask me what I do, it's always a difficult answer. Nothing nothing comes out quickly. There's no one title. <laughs> you do you do a lot of things, which is good. That's I think that a lot of us would do a lot of things if we could get paid for a lot of things. 
what do they, I think they call it jack of all trades, master of none. Here, here you go. We are we are definitely a, a master of no trades here on the Mainland yep. Podcast. Uh, Kyle, I just wanted to start out by asking you about you know the 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 last year that you've had the U.S. Soccer uh, Federation presidency came open and there were you know a lot of uh, a lot of really good candidates this time out and um, you know you decided to throw your hat in the ring and, and give it a go. What kind of went into that? Um, decision and, and how did that whole process go for you in, in terms of um you know how you how you went through it how you felt about it and uh and did you enjoy it <laughs> uh yeah i mean the last one i definitely enjoyed it I, I i would do it again um it has its high points its low points it definitely uh was an ambitious thing that put stress on my family but proved um you know, proved worthy and and also just how incredible my wife and my family are for supporting me and something like that. I, I got in because I just wanted to be more than a mouthpiece. And, you know, I, from my pulpit, have, have expressed concerns about U.S. soccer in the past. Uh, I've highlighted um, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Federation and of the U.S. men's national team. And when I sat back and watched... Um, the the field um, increase and people get involved. Um, I, I just felt the time was now to step up with the other uh, brave people who love this game so much and fight for it and fight for a better federation. And um, at the end of the day, it was an exciting, uh, disappointing, um, scary, and empowering and exciting. A few months to see not only the machinery of the game in this country and all the wonderful people who were involved, um, but also see some of the the negatives and some of the the ugliness that's in our game. That um, I think all of us stepping forward to raise the right questions and speak about the right issue, issues, even though um, you know some are worried that we we aren't going to get the change that we desired. I think that we have shook the system and at this inflection point demanded more transparency and accountability. And, and I'm hopeful the, the outcome um, is, is that that momentum, uh, that demand never, never goes away. And, um, you know, and, and the desires are heard and, and the fans and the members uh, finally get a federation that, that serves everyone. Well, now you mentioned um not wanting to or, or wanting to step out from behind the pulpit you know obviously you have a mouthpiece uh you know being on tv um what you know given the results of the the election um what are you planning to do to continue fighting and not just from you know behind a microphone well of course i'll continue when um you know when my when my job description asks for it to to uh, to analyze not only the game but but the U.S. soccer system. Um, right now, I'm I'm not asked to do that. So really, any of my analysis or or criticism or praise of the federation or the national teams is from a fan perspective. Uh, I'll always be a fan, and I'll continue to do that from a more professional and formal standpoint. Um, I, I've decided to take a position to chair Street Soccer USA. Uh, an incredible national nonprofit using soccer as a social vehicle uh, to to create social change in low-income communities in inner cities by bringing the greatest game on the planet to the people that need it most. And so I've been in touch with them for a while. I'm so impressed with 
the organization they've built over the last decade, and I'm honored and humbled. They, uh, they've asked me to chair their national board to continue to build fields and bring programs to these inner cities so that um, we can really bring the fun back in the game. And, and for me, I think it's incredibly important to continue to build a, um, a pickup community, uh, a place where it's, it's not organized soccer, it's soccer for the fun of it. It's a ball and, and a bunch of friends just enjoying playing. Um, and, you know, continue to try and find ways outside of the current soccer pyramid that has so many barriers to entry to increase participation uh, in these dense communities where there are incredible kids that want to play the game but just can't find it. Kyle, what do you think will um, be sort of the focus uh, of Carlos Cordero's uh, presidency after he succeeded uh, Sunil Gulati? Well, it's clear his main focus is to um, win the World Cup bid, and um, that that is an that is an incredibly important part of the presidency and of the federation of soccer in this country right now. To go and, and uh, this summer, the the votes will determine who gets to host the 2026 World Cup, and um, you know I think it would be a force multiplier to have that tournament back in the U.S. Uh, for the first time since 1994. At a point where our our soccer culture has grown, uh, eyes will be even more on it than there there have been in the past. The infrastructure is better, the fan base has has grown, and you know just the excitement and the energy that will create and the money that it will bring in, hopefully, will be reinvested in the right way and will be um, you know just a real seminal moment to continue to bring this game to the to the to the main stage, bring this game to the head table with the other major sports in this country. Um, you know, I think you can walk and chew gum at the same time. So mm -hmm. uh, obviously it's important to make sure the, the bid with, with our partners, Mexico and Canada is, uh, is the best is, is in a prime position to win and get the most votes and bring the world cup back here. But at the same time, there are, there are there are so many things that need to be fixed with the environment within U.S. soccer, the culture there. Uh, there isn't really an organization technically designed um, to to make macro decisions that grow a soccer culture, but also improve uh, the development of of players and performance of our team. And a lot of those things need to be fixed, and it remains to be seen if the right things are going to be done to do that. Now, speaking of that, they, they announced recently that the uh, search is on for a, uh, um, a director prior to uh, a new coach. Um, do you have any thoughts on uh, if it was up to you who you would put in that position um, and what you see that position doing going forward? Uh, yeah, I had sounded out the people I, I wanted for that role uh, while I was on the campaign trail. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw names out because I'd prefer not to influence things and some of the people I like have actually interviewed so that's good to hear um, the feedback from people that are interviewing for the position is that the the role isn't really well defined and the scope of the responsibilities is very narrow so so far the role isn't isn't very attractive to the people qualified and capable to do it which is worrying. Um, you know, it, it, 
it's something that is a is definitely the right move, uh, whether it's GMs and this this will be a GM for the men's national team and the women's national team or a technical director. You know, there, it's very clear that uh, people unqualified to make these decisions have done so in the past. So it's essential that they find a person or persons to go in and, and finally uh, have the technical nous to to make curriculum uh, plans and coordinate and uh, and connect these uh, these these national teams from the senior level to the youth level and. Um, you know, so so far they're searching, but haven't been able to, uh, you know, to get someone signed up. You know, to dovetail on that, uh, Kyle, what, I'm not asking you to name who you would pick, but who are some of the names of a after the GM is in place? Who are some of the names that we can expect to hear come out in terms of coaching candidates? Because I think that's a, a, a thing that most fans are are really interested in is who's going to be that next coach. Well, we, we, we've seen some names thrown out, whether it's internally with, with guys like Tad Ramos, who um, you know have been in the U.S. soccer structure and done a good job on the youth side. Uh, Major League Soccer, whether it's Peter Vermees or Greg Berhalter, uh, Jesse Marsh, and, and some of the people who have, uh, who have succeeded uh, at, at the professional level and, and would be ready for a leap to the international level, uh, or international names. Um, you know, David Wagner, who obviously is a U.S. men's national team, a former U.S. men's national team player who is in the middle of a really impressive run with not only getting Huddersfield promoted, but uh, seems like he might be able to keep them up in the Premier League as well. You know, Tata Martino and, uh, you know, Patrick Vieira, who's here. I mean, there are, there are a lot of great options. Um, you know, it's just really important that this time the decision is made in a democratic way with technical people in the room rather than a couple people making this decision like it was made in the past. Uh, bringing things back a little bit to uh, the home front you mentioned, uh, obviously getting soccer up into the stratosphere of the other major leagues in this country. Uh, Miguel Herrera recently uh, uh, said that he thought Liga MX was competing against the European leagues and not against MLS as far as the quality. He said that they were a step above. Uh, had you heard that? And do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think you only have to look at the CONCACAF Champions League uh, record and the fact that uh, a U.S. team has never won. Um, and the dominance with Liga MX is an example of, yeah, the, the, the quality is better in Liga MX. We have to admit that. Now, Toronto came, came as close and went toe-to-toe, unlike I think any MLS team has in the past. But it's only recently that, that salaries within Major League Soccer's structure are commensurate with those of Liga MX. Um, here's the major difference. You know, some of the big earners for Major League Soccer are close to or maybe even more than some of the big earners for Liga MX teams. But, you know, player one to player 20, the salary uh, budgets for Liga MX teams are, are definitely well above what, what Major League Soccer teams are paying. So, you know, you, you, you get what you pay for. And, uh, you know, it's the, it's the middle of a roster that's the most important to make sure that you don't have a drop-off in quality. So Major League Soccer continues to gain ground um, but you know, Liga MX, obviously the number one sport in their country. And uh, if you think about the interest in our country as well, 
I mean, Liga MX is, is consumed probably more than Major League Soccer in our country when you think about uh, all of, um, you know, Telemundo and, and Univision and, and all of the ratings uh, domestically for, for that league. It's an incredible draw. And when El Tree comes to the U.S., they're an incredible draw. So it's just it's, a, it's an amazing heritage, a long uh, a, a league that's been around for a long time and, and are ahead of Major League Soccer. And I think it's OK to admit that. You know, Kyle, one of the things that I, you know, enjoy about what you do is that you get paid to watch soccer games. And that's something I haven't really been able to pull off yet. Um, yeah, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, so I guess my question here is, is um, you know, with the opportunity to watch games from around the world, what really excites you as a soccer fan? Which leagues, which teams and, um, and players and what styles of play are, are really exciting you right now? Well, you know, I, um, you know, I feel very fortunate to to have to have that job. I mean, every day it's just it really is incredible. We sit in the studio, Rebecca and the Robbies, and we just we have so much fun doing it. And I love doing it with them. So I, I, I do feel so lucky to be able to watch soccer for a living. Sometimes my wife doesn't believe that I when I say you know, I'm working right now when I'm on you know on the couch in sweatpants watching. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't it doesn't pass as work, but. Um, I just love yeah, – I've talked a lot about Pep Guardiola and what he's done with Manchester City. I just love the pursuit of perfection in total football. I mean I grew up watching not only Barcelona uh, but also a lot of Serie A and watching Juventus and, and AC Milan. I, I, I tend to be attracted by star players and attacking players rather than follow teams. So followed Arsenal during the Invincible years because Burkamp and Henri and uh, it was just so incredible to watch that combination – um, watched a lot of Boca Juniors because of Riquelme and Tevez and River Plate with with Ortega. You know, I just I, I, my eye tends to, to to be drawn to a team with flair, a league with flair. So you know, La, La Liga has always been um, been a league that I've followed from afar, even though I've never been paid to. <laughs> well, um, talking about the you know, younger players and whatnot. Uh, former rookie of the year yourself have you had the opportunity to um catch orlando city's uh chris mueller and uh what he's been doing in these last few games yeah i mean i just love um i have and i and i i love players that take risk i love young players that are given opportunities you know when i was at columbus that rookie season i didn't play a lot right away and there was a star player in the midfield a veteran named um John Wilmar Perez, who played you know, in a World Cup with Colombia, and um, he, he was the main man. And uh, it, it took me a while to break into that team for the coach to trust me enough to play me over him. And once I got my first opportunity, I started the rest of the year and won Rookie of the Year. So I just I, I, I love coaches that, that allow players to express themselves and, and trust young players. It was, uh, I think, Sir Matt, Sir Matt Busby, the, the, the famous Manchester United coach, that said, if they're good enough, they're old enough. You know, Kyle, before we let you go, I definitely want to get your thoughts on the World Cup. Give me your, your handicap on uh, on which teams we think might be lifting that trophy at the end of this thing. Well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a favorite and a dark horse. Um, I, I wouldn't say there are a lot of people's favorites, but I, I really like France right now. Um, not, not, without, not without their imperfections or, or idiosyncrasies, but just a team that I think is incredibly talented that are going to perform really well in this tournament. Uh, you know, a dark horse, I'll throw out Belgium. 
you know, still young, still unproven against some of the powerhouses, but uh, a team absolutely packed with talent. Well, Kyle, um, you're on NBC Sports. Any place, uh, let us know where, uh, you know, our, our listeners know where else they can find you and where they can, uh, you're a good follow on, on Twitter. Why don't you give us your Twitter handle as well? Yeah, so I'm at, at Kyle Martino. Um, and then also look into uh, streetsoccerusa.org, an incredible organization. Uh, there, there, are, there are ways on the site to donate. There are also lists of some of our events that we have. We have one coming up July 14th in Times Square where we're putting on a tournament all day long in the middle of Times Square. So uh, a lot of cool things going on there. That sounds outstanding. Thanks, uh, Kyle, so much for being with us on the podcast. And uh, best of luck to you uh, with your all of your endeavors. All right. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Okay, Dave, uh, we definitely want to thank Kyle Martino once again because he was really great. Absolutely. Um, it, like we said uh, before, probably the uh, biggest name and uh, certainly lived up to the to the hype in my mind uh, when you told me earlier that that's who we were going to have on the show. So uh, um, thank you very much to Kyle Martino. It was a pleasure talking to him. And a big thanks for me to me for asking him to be on the show. Yes, uh, here, <laughs> allow me to do that. Uh, a big thanks to Michael Citro for setting that up for us. Um, it was really, really good of him to do so. So thank you. Maybe beat my chest a little bit, puff it out. Uh, but no, that was good, and uh, we're very appreciative of him sharing his time. He has a lot of uh, different uh, things going on in his career, and addition to having wife and kids. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's a busy, busy life for him, and we're happy he could – you know, share 15 or so minutes with us uh, here on the podcast this week. So we are now in stoppage time for episode one, two, three. Uh, and we've got some mailbag, Dave. Yes, we do. So I don't know if you have, did you get anything from Mr. Johnson? I do, because I'm going to give a shout out to Mr. Mark Johnson. He has now finished law school. So big round of applause for him. <laughs> Uh, now, you yeah. can, now you can join the blog. That's right. Now he can join the blog. Of course, now he's going to tell us that he's got to study for the bar or some such stuff as that. But, I've been to many it, bars and I've never studied for it. <laughs> I've been to bars with Mark Johnson and those type he doesn't need to study for, but maybe the other kind. Okay. Regardless, he did have a question for us. Uh, it was actually something that was somewhat addressed on the site this week, but who is going to replace Yoshi when he is off to the World Cup. Well, that's a pretty easy one. Uh, he's uh, just recently made his Orlando City debut, and that's Uri Rossell. And Rossell will take uh, the bottom of the diamond if it's a 4-2, or he will play alongside Igita in a 4-2-3-1. Uh, and that's uh, that's really the, the, the best like-for-like like that uh, Orlando City has for replacing Yotun while he goes to the World Cup. Yeah, and we mentioned it, or you mentioned it earlier, that uh, the nice thing about Yuri is that he can play with either Yoshi or Higita. And so when Yoshi is not here, he will play with Higita. So there we have it. Um, yeah, it's not that we won't miss uh, Mr. Yotun because he does bring a lot to the club, but, um, you know, can't really fault the man for going off and playing in the World Cup. Um, fortunately, like you said, we'll have Yuri. All will be good. Indeed. Uh, are you sure? Are you sure we can't fault him? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, we can, but, you know. All right. So, anyhow, the, uh, the uh, 
the questions we have here, we got one in the, the email, the old-fashioned way. Uh, Lee has uh, emailed us again this week, and he would like to know, who do you foresee being tabbed to succeed Monsieur Wenger, Wenger as manager at, uh, at Lee's beloved Arsenal FC? Oi. Um, wow. That's a, uh, no matter what happens, no matter who goes there, that's a, a phenomenal opportunity and also a bit of a, a nightmare to start off on because uh, despite what um, happened recently, there was that uh, that stretch of time where uh, Arson had Arsenal doing phenomenal things. So um, as far as who has... Uh, you know, the, the one name that I've heard uh, is uh, Patrick Vieira um, and, of course, former uh, Arsenal player. I personally would love to see that happen because maybe that helps us over here on the LMLS. Um, whether he goes or not, uh, that's uh, – I don't know. It's – It'll be interesting. Uh, I, I haven't heard any. It's so so soon. I haven't heard uh, many other names float it yet. I don't know if you have. Uh, no, I really haven't been paying too much attention to Arsenal other than to watch uh, my beloved uh, Manchester United uh, defeat uh, Arsenal over the weekend. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would really like it to be Tata Martino or, uh, or Patrick Vieira for obvious reasons. Well, here's my plan: is Vieira goes to Arsenal, and then uh, Tata goes to coach the men's national team, U.S. men's national team, so that we take care of both of them that way. Yeah, yeah, that works for me. Yeah, I like it. Um, that's that's using the old noodle, Dave. Uh, you know, occasionally I come up with something okay. Occasionally. Yeah, I'm don't I'm not getting a big head, trust me. <laughs> All right, uh, Lee has a second question that I can't help him with yet, but I think I will be able to soon. But you can yep. help him with this question, Dave. Oh, okay. It is, can you give him a spoiler-free review of the Avenger, ah. Avengers Infinity War? Okay, so I am uh, I'm in my 40s, and I've seen a lot of movies. I saw Star Wars when it was in the theaters, <laughs> to give everybody a point of reference here. Um, and Infinity War is... Absolutely one of the best movies I've ever seen in the theater, uh, without a doubt. Staying spoiler-free, you will not be disappointed. As a matter of fact, you will want to go pay more money to see it again. And they do a good job of incorporating all the myriad of players that they're bringing into that, that, uh, that movie – Without having them step on each other, or feel that you know anybody is too rushed, or that they didn't get quite enough time, they they did a really excellent job. And something I heard today is they actually brought in the directors from the other individual movies. So, for example, they brought in James Gunn to help with the voices, or you know the writing voices for Star Lord or Rocket. You know they brought in um, the guy who did Ant Man, so that. Well, actually, Ant-Man wasn't in there. Um, uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Um, anyway, um, what they were able to do was was keep the voices con- – oh, uh, the guy who did Thor Ragnarok, Ragnarok um, brought him in so that the Thor stayed consistent. They were able to do that, and it enhances the movie. There are so many stand-up-and-cheer points in it 
that uh, I, I'm probably going to go see it. Well, I'll probably be in the theater while you guys are listening to this podcast because I'm going to go see it again. Hmm. Yes, I, I hope to be able to see it very, very soon, uh, potentially as early as mañana or as I, something drops. Uh, I hope you do, too, because this not talking to you about it is killing me. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is that every day that I don't see it, it's like I'm risking spoilers. I'm risking, um, you know, uh, the hype getting to me to the point where I don't enjoy it as much as I would ordinarily have enjoyed it. I think that happened a little bit to me for Black Panther. I think it was a good movie, a very good movie. But I think the fact that everybody just raved and raved and raved about it made me like expect more even though there was a lot there i expected more you know what i'm saying i i know what you're saying and this is not going to help but it's a better movie than black panther so <laughs> we actually at work today we've all seen it and uh we actually ranked <clears throat> our marvel movies and um for most of us this one was number one winter soldier was number two and then after that you know things started getting shuffled up uh-huh. but if you were a fan of winter soldier which i am uh, this would, which had been my number one movie, even after Black Panther, even after Guardians Two, even after Ragnarok, Winter Soldier had remained number one for years. This took its place. All right. Uh, so thanks, Lee, for those questions. Appreciate it. We have a question on the Twitters from Elder Gorilla, who would like to know uh, what you think the ideal starting eleven lineup for the U.S. Open Cup for Orlando City would be. <laughs> Um, well, let's see, you know, uh, we'll start, uh, Bendik and goal, um, at the moment, you know, we've only really got the two center backs. So, uh, uh, Tarek and, and Sonny will be in there. Um, maybe, um, RJ Allen and Muhammad El Monir. I, you know, as I'm going through, I'm not thinking of too many at least in the in the back i'm not thinking of too many things that we're going to change when we get into the midfield then we have plenty of more pieces maybe there um you definitely have um you know will johnson starting um you know, perhaps you bring in your roselle to get him you know more time uh on the field um let's see um you definitely, you know, will have uh, a Pino up top so that uh, he can get some more time. Um, uh, you know, and maybe you have uh, uh, Mueller up there as well. Uh, I know I'm, I'm probably way off on my 11 count here because I'm kind of skipping around. But, uh, you, you know. Um, so you're basically saying that your, your ideal starting <sighs> 11 for U.S. Open Cup is your regular starting 11. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, well, the problem is, is that, um, well, not the problem. The good thing is, is that we've actually seen, because of how the season started, we've actually seen some of these guys, you know, uh, already be on the field. So uh, the people that, you know, I think would, would come in that, that we're not used to seeing, you know, you'll have Pino starting, you'll have, I know Will Johnson's been out there, but I still think, you know, Will is out there. Um, it's, I'm trying to think of who else we have on the bench. Um Let's see. Well, you know, Richie Larea is a guy that yeah. comes to mind. Here's the thing about it, though, Dave. The It couldn't be a worse time for the first U.S. Open Cup date because I believe that would be around June 6th, which is Wednesday, the 6th of June. It could be the 5th, potentially, on the Tuesday like they did. I think they did last year. They moved it up to a Tuesday. 
um, to keep it away from the trip, which again would be a problem because that is a bad scheduling month for Orlando City. The team on the second, Saturday the second, plays a night game at New York City FC. Then you're talking about either playing Tuesday or Wednesday night and then going to Vancouver for a Saturday game. Vancouver, all the way across, couldn't go oh, further I... in the league. That is a rough, rough thing. And then, of course, the week that's also a short week because Vancouver uh, on the 9th, then the Wednesday the 13th at Montreal, again on the road in Canada. So that right. is a brutal, brutal stretch. Uh, and then, you know, then the team gets, uh, what, 10 days before they play Montreal at home. Uh, and then they go to Atlanta the week after that. So June is a pain in the nuts, really. <laughs> well, it's uh, not yeah, a that's... good, not a good stretch right there. Now you throw in a U.S. Open Cup date in the middle of two road games, one of which uh, is going to Vancouver. And I'm sure the team would love to leave Thursday and not Friday to go all the way to Vancouver. Right. So well, the good news is that the the people who have been wanting to see Pierre da Silva will get to see him. Uh, the people who um, have wanted to see the headband uh, Dylan Powers out there, they'll get to see him. Um, you know, there's there's going to be guys uh, PC, uh, like I said, Pino, uh, Donny Toya. Uh, there's there are guys out there, and if like you say the the schedule's that bad, um, we can see a mix of all of those guys, um, not just an open cup, but, you know, getting some time in the regular MLS, uh, games as well. A lot of it really depends on who, number one, who's available. Number two, you know, cause between now and then there could be injuries and that kind of thing. Uh, sure. num- number two, um, who the opponent is. If it's an opponent that, uh, Jason Christ would like to roll the dice and say, I can, I think I can get a result with this team, uh, rather than go with major players. Um, you know, that, that might be something that he does. If it's, if it's a, you know, Miami FC of last year is not the Miami of this year. So if you're playing the same team, you're not playing the same roster of players. You're not playing the same quality of team. Although Stefano Pino might still be on the field. (laughs) Yeah, he could be on the the field. I, I definitely think. It might be the only opportunity to see Jose Villarreal this year. Uh, Remember, he he's still alive. He's still a guy on this team. <laughs> uh, a guy like Chris Schuler could play in that game. Sure. Um, you know, Larea da Silva. These are guys that we we could see. Powers is a guy we could see. Rocha is a guy we could see. Um, but the problem is, if you throw too many of those bodies out there and lose, it's really bad. Yeah. So you have to try to balance that with at least a few regulars. Um, you know, depending on what happens between now and then, maybe Chris Mueller gets a, a half a game off at New York City and plays in that game. Um, that's a possibility. Uh, but there, you know, and a guy who's not getting a lot of minutes right now, Josue Coleman. That good point. So he's a guy that you could see in that game. I don't know what my ideal lineup would be for that game. My ideal lineup is our starting lineup. But, right, I don't, yeah. I, but that's not going to happen, especially if it's uh, June 6th, which is when I think it is. I believe that if if that's the week, I think that Orlando City will try to move that up to the 5th to get that extra day in um, before having to leave for Vancouver. That's what I sort of envision if, if it's that week, and I'm pretty sure it's that week as I looked it up. Um, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> the, the main open... point is you're going to get see a lot of guys that you haven't seen. Yeah, Open Cup will start for a lot of teams this weekend, not for, not for MLS teams, but uh, we'll start to see teams that you've actually heard of. 
playing uh, this weekend. They'll be FC Miami City against Miami FC in one of those uh, matches. <laughs> just, uh, Miami has scored on Miami and Miami. Yeah, it's, that's going to be a crazy hard game for um, for the announcers. And I haven't looked at the rosters, but hopefully there's a lot of Hernandez's and Diaz's <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> an um, absolutely impossible game to couple call. Of, a couple of, couple of Johnsons or Smiths out there, maybe. <laughs> oh so, god, I could. Yeah. One can only hope. Any anybody even listening to the game would be confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have to watch it. You will not be able to listen to that one yeah. on the radio because it, you. And now, now you have to watch it. You better have your computer up with you know. Uh, roster lists and all that. Okay, which Johnson was that? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that's all of the email that I've seen, the Twitter requests I've seen, and we forgot to tell you how to get your uh, questions into Ask Us Anything, and you can do that, obviously, by uh, email, themainland at gmail.com, or uh, hit us up on Twitter. We are at themainland on Twitter, and uh, you can hit us up with the hashtag AskTMLPC. And that will uh, get us your questions. Uh, get your questions in for next week. It's never too early. We'll answer anything. And please be sure to spell Maine, M-A-N-E, like a lion's mane, in both of those uh, situations. Because we're clever. Yes, we're very punny guys here at the mainland. Anyway, Dave, we've got a game coming up this weekend at Orlando City Stadium against Real Salt Lake, the former club of Will Johnson, the former club of Jason Christ. Uh, I need your key matchup, and I need your uh, your score prediction. All right. Um, key matchup is – it's kind of weird. Um, I think we simply need to keep scoring. Um, you know, they do have Nick Romando. He is an excellent goalie. Um, you know, their uh, defense is pretty good. Um, I, it's – this weird thing for me that uh, a lot of the the squad for Orlando has started coming together. You know, all the pieces have sort of come together. Uh, you know, that's what happens in a five-game win streak. So it's hard to point, you know, at a deficiency right now. So what I go back to is you're coming back home. Um, you know, yeah, we were able to come from behind to get the the victory out in Colorado, but um, I still think it's it's a good thing to get on the board early and often. Um, so I look for the offense to to get moving. You know, either Dom or Chris to get back on the scoreboard. Hopefully for Justin Merrim to get on the scoreboard. Anyway, you know, let's get some goals. Um, let's take charge of the game. Early, we'll be back among the all the oxygen molecules that uh, permeate uh, the uh, Florida air and sunshine. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be just um, the midfield getting doing what they've been doing, which is getting service in for the the forwards, letting the strikers do what they do. But it's going to come down to making sure that we convert on those chances. As far as my prediction goes. Um, Boy, I was thinking about this all day, and it's one of those things where I want to, I want to predict a win. I feel, you know, part of me feels like, you know, this could easily be three-one. This is a real team that seems to be up and down. Um, but at the 
end of the day, I'm going to go again with a 1-1 draw just because we can't have nice things and um, this this nice little run has to end at some point. So I'm going to hopefully be wrong, say that it ends uh, this weekend and um, somehow uh, we let one in, but we're able to score 1-1. One, one, one. Hmm. All right. I expect a little more optimism out of you, actually. I know, but that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm. It's kind of a uh, like, like five in a row. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it. Well, you know, the key is that, um, you know, you have nothing to do with this. That's a good point. <laughs> the, the other good point is, is no matter what we predict, we're wrong. So it won't be one-one. Yeah. So for me, there's two big matchups uh, that are key to this game. One is not on the field at all. It is the the key matchup number one is Orlando City against looking ahead to Atlanta United. Okay, that that's is, good. Uh, that is number one. You have to play the team in front of you because anybody in this league can beat anybody in this league if the you know if the circumstances are correct and if you don't show up ready to go. Um, and, and you know it's so tempting to look ahead to Atlanta because they are yes. you know you're you're trying to prove yourself in the east and they are one of the the top teams in the conference so it's so easy to to look ahead and start eyeing that uh, that team with the ugly stripes but on the pitch i will say that to me there is a, a the big the big player that i think that orlando city needs to look out for is there's really two so i'm going to just say that the the key matchup is the back line of Orlando City against uh, Jao Plata and uh, Albert Rushnak. Uh, okay. Those two players in particular are very dangerous. Uh, they, they tend to generate some scoring chances and some shots and get some key passes into the area. It's uh, it's going to be key to, to um, play well against them. And it sounds weird because they're coming off a shutout loss and they haven't won a road game yet. But uh, I think those still are some dangerous players that you have to watch out for. And you can even throw Jefferson Savarino in there. He's a player that uh, had five shots last week at Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Um, So they generated plenty of shots. I think between Savarino and Plata and and Rusnak, they had um, those three alone had 11 shots combined. So that's, that's a lot of attempts. Um, Yeah. And, you yeah. know, it's not like it's the best team in the league when they're playing Vancouver, but it was on the road. So that's still that's still pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, amount of attempts just for a, a trio of players. Yeah. And, you know, they've beaten Vancouver. They've lost to Vancouver. They've blanked Colorado, but then they've gotten blanked by New York. Uh, these guys are all over the place. Um, and so that's that's what makes it so difficult, um, you know, which. Which real will the Real Salt Lake stand up? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. For, for this one is a really tough one for me to decide because Orlando City doesn't have a good history against them in terms of wins. They have one victory, and that was last year a one nil victory at uh, Rio Tinto, and that was a game that really kind of Orlando City made the most of an early chance with a Will Johnson goal, and then just kind of hung on. Yeah. Um, the other two games here, have, or the other two games have been draws. The 1-1 at Rio Tinto and the 2-2 here. Of course, very memorable uh, two-goal comeback went, uh, for uh, for Orlando City coming back to, to draw both goals in stoppage time. Um, 
there's been some red cards in the past in this series. Yeah, like you, it's kind of hard to continue to pick a team to win um, when they're on a streak because at some point you figure at some point all good things come to an end. Uh, I'm going to say two to two. I think Orlando's in a pretty good offensive spot right now. Um, okay. But I do worry about those players that I mentioned earlier. I think Plata's a good player. I think that Rushnack's a good player. I think I believe he's a designated player for them. Uh, Savarino is a guy who can get into space. And we've seen some players in the last few weeks be able to kind of slip in uh, between the defense. And I think that, that Real Salt Lake is a, a team that they can do two things. They can they can play balls over the top, and they can sl- slide in between. And I think with a guy like uh, Kyle Beckerman, uh, who you know is a is a rock in the back, you, you don't worry about guys getting forward and getting numbers forward because you you got essentially five defenders when you've got him on the field. So um, you know that makes them a dangerous team, and they've they've had success um, you know getting opportunities against Orlando City in the past. This is a different team. But until Justin Merrim starts firing on all cylinders and he's playing better and better every week, um, I still think that this team hasn't reached its full potential. So I think um, I've, I'm comfortable saying 2-2 just because there's this uh, history of draws in this series. And um, and again, it's like if I pick them to win and they don't win, then I feel like it's my fault that they didn't keep <laughs> winning. We, we have nothing to do <laughs> with right. it whatsoever. That's right. What's, it's completely course, irrational. Is, Oh, yeah, completely and totally irrational. But what's funny is when they weren't winning to begin the season, you wouldn't pick them until they proved they could win. And now they've won five in a row. And you're like, yeah, no, you can't keep it up. That's well, that's true. It, no, it, that's, I understand yeah, why. I'm not true. disagreeing no, that, with it's, you. No, I know. It's it's true. I, and I, it is totally a, a double standard. Um, but I'm, I'm considering the opponent. If we're you know, if this team were playing – DC or somebody like that they've had some success against in the past, especially at home, I would say, okay. And I would pick them to win and say, yeah, they'll get six in a row. And this is a game, Dave, that they should win this game. They should win it. Absolutely should. And like I said, my first thing was (laughs) my first thought earlier was three, one, but I went with one, one. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just as hypocritical about this as you are. Yeah. The team still leaves, um, too many goals unscored, I think Orlando City does, and that can come back to haunt you at any given time. And uh, it felt it felt really weird having an Orlando City game with Dom Dwyer on the field without Dom scoring a goal, and that didn't happen prior to that this season. So um, I guess he didn't want to. When you talk about guys that you know streaky players like Dom Dwyer, and he was in such a, a hot streak, is is he going to go into a cold streak now? Uh, you know what, uh, you could. You could say that about anybody. I think that the way Dom plays is is such a raw, scrappy, you know, does whatever he has to that I, I, I don't think he changed how he played. I think it was just, you know, a lack of opportunity, lack of, uh, of you know, like he got undercut. I mean, he should have had that goal there. So, uh, nah, I don't, I don't, you know, I'll put it this way. These guys are professionals, and yeah, there is such a thing as the yips, but um. I don't, I don't know. Even I think, think they're playing yips. with confidence. I don't even think it's yips. I, I think that it's just the Dom has shown throughout his career that he'll score a ton of goals over a stretch of time, and then he'll go into a little bit of a cold spell, and then he'll come back and get hot again. And it's that's not that's that's, that's not a Dom thing. That's a striker thing in general. So that's true. Um, but fortunately, we've got other guys that can score. So 
So anyway, that's that's my official prediction is 2-2. Um, I hope that the defense plays better than that for Orlando City. Um, I don't know. That's just the number that comes to me. It's weird that I, I, I think about the games and I think about who should win and who and who shouldn't and. I look at their recent streaks and you, you know, mm-hmm. I look at the fact that RSL doesn't have a road win and I, and yet still what I go with is a gut number that just pops in, you know, I go, what does, what feels right? You know? And, and we are consistently wrong. Yeah. So why am I listening <laughs> to my gut? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, we'll see how it shakes out this week. And next week I'll try a new approach. If the gut continues to be just hilariously wrong, I'll just try another method. If, uh, you, we might actually use uh, uh, data and facts to come up with a reasonable thing that has nothing to do with our guts. Yeah, well, I've always tried to be honest how I've uh, how I've felt about games, and not necessarily. Sure. It's not always rational. <laughs> uh, sometimes, no. sometimes I'll look at it and go, "Wow, you know, this team is garbage, and this team's really great." And it'll it'll seem easy to make a call, and then I'll go, and then something inside me will go, "Wait a minute, that's a trap." That's <laughs> <laughs> It's a trap. And this is one of those games. This is one of those games where I feel like the the the, the sure, direction. Right before Atlanta, right these, off of yeah. a five-game win streak. Yeah, absolutely. It's these, a trap game. The directions of these teams seems just too convenient. You know, just, but, and as you said, we can't have nice things. I, I don't know. I, I would, I'll be disappointed if Orlando City doesn't win this game, but it also depends on how things unfold. I mean, you, there's things that you can't account for, like penalties and red cards and things like that. So, uh, some strange things have happened in this series. Some guys have gotten sent off. Um, you know, there's been there've been uh, just some odd happenings, and there've been, you know, like I said, two draws out of the three games, and not a lot of goals for Orlando City. But uh, I feel like they can get two on RSL, and I feel like um, they're perfectly capable of shipping two. Well, regardless of what happens, we'll be here to tell you about it. That's right. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about, you know, Real Salt Lake at Orlando City uh, before the Atlanta United game. We'll preview that. Obviously, next week we'll talk about the Pride and the Red Stars, and we'll look ahead to the Pride's uh, next opponent coming up, uh, which will also be on a Wednesday, and that will be at Utah. So speaking of Rio Tinto, the uh, first trip for the pride out to uh, Rio Tinto and um, you know, we'll have a lot, uh, a lot to talk about. And, 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 you know, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, the 2nd of May, when it drops, happy birthday to miles Joseph, who uh, has been on the podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Dave, we'll wrap up episode number one, 23. I hope I got that right. I didn't look it up this week. Um, <laughs> I was just, it sounds right. I was just that confident. Actually, I'm looking at it now. Yes, this is a 123. Thanks again to Kyle Martino for being with us on this edition of the Mainland Podcast. Please read our stuff at themainland.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page, all of that. Subscribe to this podcast if you are just listening to it and, and downloading it and haven't subscribed please do that and tell your friends about it leave us a five-star review and uh, say some nice things and if you do that we'll read it on the air this is uh i think week i don't know 50 in a row where nobody has done that <laughs> you want to read your reviews somebody please yeah sometimes it's just nice to, maybe people don't want to hear us um you know tooting our own horn so maybe they're like purposely so if- not leaving a five-star review Okay, leave the five-star review, write something, and if you don't want us to read it out, say, please don't read this out. Otherwise, we'll read it out, but 
just, you know, it would be nice for us to hear something. Yeah, that'd be good. So let us know what you're thinking. Uh, tell your friends and, and family about us, and uh, we will uh, be back to do this all again next week. And uh, so, Dave, tell everybody where they can find you on the Twitter. Uh, I am on the Twitters at D-E-V-E-R-O-H-E. That's Dave Rowe. Um, and, of course, you can find my writings on themainland.com. And, Michael, for you? Uh, I am at Mainland Michael on Twitter. Main, like Alliance Main, M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D, Michael. All one con- continuous blob, amorphous blob of letters after the at symbol on uh, Twitter. And, of course, uh, you can find me here on the Mainland Podcast and on themainland.com as well. So uh, that will do it. We'll have full coverage of Orlando City against Real Salt Lake this weekend. I will be on hand to uh, cover that match. And uh, we'll do the, the typical thing, Dave. We'll have the recap. We'll have the great player grades, man of the match. We'll have, uh, you know, five takeaways. Maybe we'll have a photo gallery from that thing. And, uh, and uh, it'll all be good. We'll be back to talk about it all next week. That's what we do. That's what we do. All right. On behalf of David Rowe, I am Michael Citro, founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com, signing off the way I always do by saying, go city and go pride.